Hebrews chapter 4. I hope you've so far enjoyed our exploration of the heart of Christ. Um, the last several months have been a deep dive and study on Jesus' character and his heart for me. And I've been truly moved and impacted. You know, there's several times, perhaps in your life, and you may have experienced them already, of, of, of shifts in your thinking and understanding and experience of, of Christ. You know, I think it's natural for us to fall into patterns or sort of cycles of feeling close and near to God and then maybe experiencing what maybe we could describe as a plateau. And, and our reading and our study and our praying is, it's heartfelt, but it's not, it, it's not enlivening at times or uh, we're discouraged even and perhaps we're not just even plateaued but in a valley. And then you read something or study something or hear something uh, or somebody shares something with you or you, you, you learn something about Christ, about God, about the gospel that reignites and reinvigorates your faith. Well, that's, that's what the Lord's done in my life over the last several months. And that's due in part because of what he's revealed to me about the heart of Christ. And so it's one of the reasons I've been so excited to share what Christ is like with you in hopes. And, and my prayer is that you feel a, an awakening again in your own heart. Of, of the blessedness of Christ, of the beauty of his heart for you. And what I think you'll find over the next several weeks, looking at the back of the last two or three we've done and forward to the next several, is that really we'll see all of these things overlapping together. So if you hear, if you hear the same things week after week, that's intentional and unavoidable. Because really when we think about different aspects of Christ's heart, we're talking about one heart reflected in many different ways. So when we began, we looked at his heart as gentle and lowly, that, that he humbled himself and made himself accessible and approachable to his people. And then last week, we studied his, his compassion. And of course, that compassion flows from a heart that is gentle and lowly, that is humble and ready to give himself to the help of his people. And this week, as we study Hebrews chapter 4, we see that he is sympathetic, that is, his, he is able to sympathize. And really, this flows naturally from a heart that is gentle and lowly, from a heart that is full and rich of compassion, to those who need help. He's going to give himself in sympathy to his people. And so all the rest of this week, we're going to find these linked together, like reflecting light off of a mirror from the heart of Christ. So I pray that it's been helpful to you so far and will continue to be. And if you've missed any or would like to go deeper, please, let's study further together. We're going to read verses 14 through 16 in Hebrews chapter 4. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, lost my place on this small Bible. In addition to the technical difficulties, I forgot my Bible at home, so the Lord is gracious. Let me start over. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect was tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive help and mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Let's pray. Father, we ask now by your spirit 
you would open up our minds and our hearts to receive your word. That we would, in this text, see the beauty of the heart of Christ as one who, in his ministry to us, is able to sympathize. And that our own hearts would be drawn up into his. That we would be embraced by his love and care for his people and for us. God, I ask, Lord, that you would quiet my own mind and soul as I preach with singularity the gospel of Christ, which is the demonstration of a heart of compassion, of gentle and lowliness, and of sympathy for his people. Would you, by your spirit, move in us and create in us an obedience to walk faithfully in light of these words. We ask this and pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16, the central and the main argument in our text here is that the heart of Jesus is sympathetic. He, so far, I know we're dropping here in the middle of an argument, but he's been contrasting Jesus with a whole host of other inferior things that are threatening the superiority of Jesus in the mind of Christians. Jesus, for instance, in the first two chapters, is greater and more excellent than angels. He is a better mediator of a better covenant. That the old covenant is less, less worthy of our attention and devotion than the New Testament or the New Covenant. Why? Because it's better and enacted on better promises, we'll see. Jesus is a better mediator of a better covenant. This covenant is more excellent because Jesus is more excellent. So the essential argument in Hebrews 4 here is that because of the heart of Christ is a high priestly heart, our temptations and our sufferings should catapult us toward the perfect and superior ministry of Christ rather than send us into despair and into isolation. That's an important part of the argument here. Because of the superiority of Jesus' high priestly ministry, his superiority as the mediator of a new covenant, the superiority over men and of angels, our temptations and our sufferings shouldn't lead us to isolation and to despair, but should rather catapult us to Christ because he is a high priest who does not have a heart that is unsympathetic, but that is sympathetic. So he says there in verse 15, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. These three verses, 14, 15, and 16, are linked together, where verse 15 serves as the anchor for both 14 and 16. So that middle verse, verse 15, it gives the ground of the reason why we can hold fast to our confession and the reason that we can go with confidence to the throne of grace. That reason is because Jesus as high priest is uniquely suited to sympathize with us. And so we need to learn three things this morning. The first is this. Believers possess a great advocate in Christ. Believers possess a great advocate in Christ. When we think about the high priestly ministry of Jesus, we need to understand what the priests were in the Old Covenant. Priests were set apart 
by God to minister in the temple. And their job was to make sure the sacrifices were offered appropriately. And one priest, the high priest, one day of each year would go into the holies of holy and he would offer a sacrifice for the sins of the land. This was done on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. Well, Jesus, we see, has replaced that high priest. In fact, what the author of Hebrews labors to teach us is that the priestly order and ministry of the Old Covenant was faulty. Why? Because priests would die. They were sinners. And so there needed to be a priest after a priest after a priest. In fact, they had to make sacrifice for themselves, purify themselves, before they could go and make sacrifice or offering for others. Not so with Jesus. He had no sin for which he needed to be atoned. He had no unrighteousness for which he needed to be purified. And because he was not a sinner, he would not die. And therefore, his high priestly ministry not only was perfect, because he was, but permanent, because he is. So Jesus, we see, is the high priest of the new covenant. He takes up and fulfills the office of priest that we see in the old covenant, in the new. Really, Jesus perfects the representative ministry of the high priest. The work of priests was to represent man to God and God to man. They stood in between the people. Now Moses was a mediator of the covenant by which God's law came through Moses to his people. But the priests mediated in another way, that they went to God on behalf of the people and to the people on behalf of God. But Jesus takes up that representative ministry where he is the fullness of the representation of God. He is the exact imprint of his nature. The fullness of God dwells in him, we read. He takes up this representative ministry of the priests by submitting himself to the sufferings and the weaknesses of humanity. So yes, he represents God as being the full expression and revelation of God in the flesh, but now he represents us as well by taking on that flesh himself, experiencing all the weaknesses and all the infirmities that come with being in a fallen world, yet he was without sin. And so he is for us a better priest than the Levites ever could be, and a better mediator than Moses ever was. If you look back in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 and 18, the author teaches us this. In verse 17 of chapter 2, he says, Therefore, Jesus had to be make, made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make a propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So now we see the special and unique ministry of Jesus as our high priest. He's able to be a help to us in a unique way, in a better and more perfect way than any high priest ever could have under the Old Covenant, than any mediator ever could have. Jesus is a superior high priest. But we're thinking about the heart of Christ as it's revealed in his ministry here. So the question then is, what does the superior high priestly ministry of Jesus reveal to us about his heart? Well, then notice what the author then labors to demonstrate in verse 15, as we've seen. We have in Christ 
someone who is able to sympathize. There was some level of sympathy in the priesthood, for we all stand in solidarity as fallen creatures with one another. But Jesus is said to be able to sympathize in a way the priest could not. He's able to take on the sufferings of his people in the way the priests could not. How could he feel this superior sympathy? He tells us, because he did so without sinning. Because of the purity and holiness of Jesus, the taking on of flesh and weakness of humanity was a greater offense and burden to the deity than the high priest ever could in solidarity with his own people. You need to understand that the act of Jesus, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, becoming a man is a momentous act. The incarnation was God taking on the form of frail humanity. And therefore, when he stands with us, his sympathy is felt more keenly. The frailty of the human condition is felt more strongly to the one who has created all humanity. And so he is able to sympathize in a way no other high priest could. To sympathize here means to suffer with or alongside of. So Jesus, in other words, executes his priestly office, not as a far off and distant deity, but actually as a co-sufferer. That his ministry to us amounts to his co-suffering with us. You may think of it differently when you think of other kinds of ministry. Think of myself as a minister, not always co-suffering with you. There's not a real way for me to take on your suffering. Now, we're called to suffer with one another, to bear the burdens of one another, to, to, to cry and weep with those who weep, to rejoice with those who joy, rejoice. But I, I can't actually share in your suffering in the way Christ does. But Christ sympathizes in the sense that he becomes a co-sufferer with us. And note that it's in our weaknesses that Jesus sympathizes with us. That is, in sympathy, Jesus' heart is feelingly drawn into our affirmities and into our distresses. That is, as high priest, he feels our suffering as if it was his own. That's what it means to sympathize. He feels it as if it was his own. Our weaknesses and infirmities, the burden of sin and slavery, it's placed on Jesus in his priestly ministry. So in his sympathy, he takes up our affliction and our suffering, and he comes alongside of us, and that's how he ministers. He's a model for all of us in that regard, that when we see the suffering of others, our job is not to stand far off, it's not to help from afar, but insofar as we are able to take on their suffering, to come alongside the brother or sister, to enter into that person's despair like Christ entered into ours. And do as best we can not mediate, not perform the function of high priest, but turn their heart's attention to Christ, who is their high priest. You see, Jesus' heart here is sympathetic, draws him to take on our suffering. He comes near to our own weak and infirmity, and he comes to us as a helper and a friend. The theological truth here expressed in Hebrews is that Jesus stands with us in complete and comprehensive 
solidarity. He's numbered among the transgressors, Isaiah says. He stands with us in solidarity. He can know our suffering because he knows what it means to suffer. He has been there before and is there with you now. So what we learn about the heart of Christ then is that it is so driven to affectionately care for his people that he would himself enter into their suffering so that in our suffering we would have a sure source of help. That's what we see in the heart of Christ. As a high priest able to sympathize, his heart is so driven to affectionately care for his people that he enters into suffering. The Son of God, the perfect, righteous, holy, second person of the Trinity, takes on the suffering of his people onto himself, that he would, for us, be our help. This is what Jesus does. And consider your own life. For instance, when you're exasperated and exhausted and worried as a parent, it's another parent who offers the best encouragement when they come alongside of you. When you're anxious about an upcoming exam or evaluation at school or at work, it's the friend who has already passed and graduated that can bolster your confidence. As a pastor, when I'm tempted to discouragement, it's another pastor who has fought those same battles that restores then my confidence. Well, friend, know that when the difficulty and the fallenness of the world makes you want to quit, that drives you to despair, that brings up anxious and exasperating fear in your life, when you are tested and faced with trials and temptations and sufferings, it is precisely there that the sinless Son of God who knows what such testing feels like, embraces us in his heart. That's what it means for Jesus to be a friend of sinners. That's what it means for him to be sympathetic to us in our weaknesses. Because he has taken on those same weaknesses, tempted and tried and tested and suffered in every way, so that he can be for us our high priest. So when you find yourself in despair, when you find yourself anxious, when you find yourself discouraged, beaten up by your own sin, when your countenance is low, turn to Christ and know that He is there with you in your suffering. He has borne it. He is with you. He is not a high priest that is unable to sympathize, but He is able to because He suffered like we had, yet without sin. Our tendency, of course, is to feel intuitively that the more difficult life gets, the more alone we are. And as we sink further into pain, we sink further into felt isolation. But the Bible corrects us. Our pain never outstrips what he himself shares in. We are never alone. That sorrow that feels so isolating, so unique, was endured by him in the past and is now shouldered by him in the present. That's what Jesus does as the high priest of his people in the new covenant. Because he has shouldered the pain and the suffering and the sorrow of his people on the cross in temptation and despair, 
in the wilderness and in the garden. He is able to shoulder it with you now. Again, as a high priest, he represents his people. So this means not only is he able to, but that he does. He comes in our midst. He dwells with us, sent his spirit to be among us so that we may feel what it means to be helped and aided by the presence and the ministry of Jesus as our high priest. Friends, just as our sins draw out the compassion of Christ's heart, our own sufferings and temptations draw out a depth of affectionate sympathy in which our own hearts receive the tender care and mercy they need. And frail, sinful humanity elicits the the compassion of Christ from his heart. Our suffering, our despondence, draws out a depth of sympathy from the heart of Christ so that our own hearts would be filled up and buoyed by the tender care and help that we need. That is why we are said here in verse 14 to have Christ. He says we have a high priest. The word here is the, is the word for possession, ownership. That is when you've been married, the vows you may have said were, I take you to have and to hold. But there's a shared ownership now in this mutual union that you have in the marriage. That's what we have in Christ. We have Christ. That is, he has given himself to us. We we have in Christ his ministry as effective and sufficient to be our high priest. That is, we, we have it in our hands as if we can hold it and grasp it. In fact, the word carries a connotation of in the sense of wearing it. We put it on as a garment. So this means then, for tempted, discouraged Christians, you possess the fullness and the sufficiency of Christ's heart for you. It's yours. It's as if you carry it around in your pocket, and when despair, discouragement, anxiety, despondence, depression, you take it out. And you remind yourself that Christ is with you. You remind yourself that his heart is drawn to you and for you as your high priest. That he has offered himself as a sacrifice in order that you might be welcomed and accepted before God. That's what it means to have Christ. And this reveals the heart of Christ still further, right? That that he gives himself in service to his people. We have him because he gave himself to us. He said he lays down his life for his friends. We have him because he gave himself. He saw our suffering and he came to suffer for us. That our suffering might be helped by his. When Jesus stands with us in solidarity as our high priest, his heart comes to us. Not as one who is unable to sympathize and is bothered and burdened by our need but one who in every way, because of the the sin that he endured on the cross, the punishment for sin he endured on the cross, his heart's drawn to us in affection and care. How are we helped then? How are we helped by Christ's suffering? Let me give you then 
the last two brief but glorious truths which flow from this. Remember, first was that believers possess a great advocate in Christ, our high priest who stands for us and with us in our sufferings before God. We see then from this that believers possess a great assurance in Christ. We possess a great assurance in Christ. That is, as a result of the effective and sufficient high priestly ministry of Jesus, we receive the great assurance of the sufficiency of his work. We are assured then, we have confidence then, that though he was tested and tried, he was without sin. Though he was given often over to despair, he was not broken or crushed, but he endured the cross for the joy set before him. So because of this, we embrace the heart of Christ that is for us. Believers possess a great assurance in Christ. The heart of Christ as our high priest means that we run to him with confidence when we are besieged by sin and suffering. We run to him with confidence. That's why it says in verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help, and help in the time of need. We must draw near with confidence. That is, the heart of Christ revealed in his ministry invites us to run to him in confidence. And by confidence, we mean an unreservedness. That there's nothing standing in our way to Christ. There's no barriers, there's no obstacles, there's no hindrances. He has removed all of those things. Our sin is an obstacle, but he has removed our sin from coming before God. Our our, our besieging sin in our lives, our doubts, our discouragement, those are obstacles. But his ministry removes them and draws us near to himself. Confidence means unreservedness. It means to go to Christ free and fearless with great assurance. So because Christ is our high priest, able to sympathize with us, standing in complete and comprehensive solidarity with his people, whose heart is drawn to us, we have great assurance that we may come to him, that he is sufficient and perfect and permanent as our high priest. That should give us great cause to rejoice, that we have a high priest not only who is able to sympathize, but in whom we can put our full confidence and trust that the work he provides, the ministry he executes in his office of priests is effective and sufficient. Lastly, flowing from the high priestly ministry of Jesus is this, that believers possess great access in Christ. Of course, it says because of this, we have confidence to draw near to the throne of grace. It's not into some portion of the presence of God, It's not as if Moses would say the backside of his glory, but into the fullness of God's presence, felt here on earth, entered into through prayer, one day fully and consummated in the new heavens and new earth. Believers possess not only a great advocate in Christ and a great assurance in Christ, but we possess great access to God in Christ that we may step into or put on this help. As we possess 
in Christ, his sympathetic help and compassion to us as our high priest, we put on this access. We, in Christ, come before God constantly. In fact, we not only put it on or step into it, we ought to live in it. That is constantly before the throne of grace. Constantly in prayer and in dependence upon God. Constantly in humble acknowledgement that Christ at all times is interceding for us. That's what he says in the book of Hebrews, that Christ is always making intercession for his people. So the beautiful truth of this passage is that the heart of Christ is opened up to us and is made accessible that which was only reserved for the qualified. And think perfect. Think sinless. See, God in His holiness and righteousness could not allow sin to enter unpunished and unaccounted for in His midst. That means you and I as sinners have no hope before God. No relationship of God as our Father. No welcoming, warming embrace because our sin condemns us under the wrath of God. But Christ as our high priest, Christ as the offering of himself, Christ as our atonement, means that we are welcomed into the household of God. We are welcomed into the presence of God. We have great access to God. We may approach confidently, unreservedly, without hesitation, the throne of grace because we have access in Christ. He has made accessible that which was only reserved for the qualified because the qualified qualifies us by faith. Just think about it. If you had a friend who has gone through your situation before, who has modeled patient endurance and has overcome their struggle, that struggle which you now find yourself in, would you not then run to that person for help? Would you not seek their counsel, ask their advice, Invite them in to help you, guide you. But friends, the heart of Christ beckons us to come to Him as our help. This is sure for all of our sins, but it's for much as the sins that keep us from God as those who besiege us each day. You may struggle with despair, discouragement, doubt, despondency, depression, a lot of other things that start with D. You may be beaten up by your own sin. You may have been let down by friends, upset with yourself for disappointing others. You may know that you're not faithfully reading or obeying the scriptures. You're not diligently praying. Think very little of God or his word or his people. But Christ, even now, in your suffering and in your sin, invites you to come to him as your help. You may, in Christ, with the access he provides, draw near to the throne of grace. And at the throne of grace, you find help and grace in your time of need. So come to Christ. His heart as our high priest beckons us, invites us. He is able to sympathize and therefore is able to help. Friends, run to Christ. Confidently draw near to the throne of grace. See him not as a far-off and distant priest who mediates for you in heaven, but that the heart of Christ for you in heaven is with you here on earth. The heart of Christ is open to you. I want to encourage you 
to think of Christ's heart for you in your sin and suffering. Let it draw you near to him and embrace you in its arms. Would you pray with me? Father, there's it's a lot more that can be said and unpacked about the heart of Christ. Indeed, the whole book of Hebrews tells us about what it means for him to be for us our high priest. How the ministry of Jesus in the new covenant is better and far superior than that of the old. That when we're tempted to work for our own salvation, to return to the old paths that lead to destruction, we would instead see that Jesus' superiority and sufficiency as our high priest, his heart opened up towards us to be for us that which we most desperately need, would cause us to draw near. God, would our heart be caught up with affection for a Savior who in complete perfection would take on the suffering of humanity, that he would become like us in every way so that he may serve us, that he may indeed help us, that he may, as Hebrews 2 says, make propitiation for the sins of the people, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, that because he himself was suffered when tempted, He's able to help those who are being tempted and who are suffering. We thank you for the co-suffering of Jesus, for his suffering on the cross, which provides the propitiation for our sins, and his present co-suffering with us as our high priest, his taking up of our cause, his standing in solidarity, and his sending of the Spirit, that we would know the power of Christ in his resurrection. We would have confidence and assurance that we may enter boldly the throne of grace, and we stand in his presence with thanksgiving, not under condemnation, but unreservedly, unhesitatingly, in praise and worship to your name. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.